going to be good today, church. It's been good all morning. Tech, we had tech problems. We had all kinds of things going on, so you know that the enemy didn't want today to happen. But it, it's already been good. We're going to jump right in here. Uh, I, I don't want to mess around. We've got a lot to cover today. This church, you guys might be looking around. Some of you, this might be your first time here. We're glad you're here. We're glad you found us. Uh, revival is a return to the old. It's a return to God's word. It's a return to the first century church and the way they practiced what Jesus taught them. Because somewhere along the way, what do we do as humans? We always think that we can add and improve or make things better. You can't improve upon what he gave us. There is no improving upon the word he gave us. And so revival is a return to that. It's a renewal. It's a revival of the old ways coming back to life and following after him. And so even in worship today, some of you, this might be your first time in a worship service. I I know, like I've grown up in Nebraska my whole life. Man, you would kind of, like the church I grew up in, you would kind of look around and, you know, you just put your hands in the pockets, and you just kind of stood there. And if somebody put their hand up, you're like, weirdo, weirdo. You know, that was how church was back in the day. That's not revival. Because God's word is clear when it talks about worship. We come and we give him our hands. We do that in full surrender to him. We come and we fall on our knees. And, and none of this is to draw attention to ourselves, but to surrender ourselves fully to him. So when you see some of these things happening in worship, when you see people jumping and moving and dancing and having fun, it's just because we really believe in God's word and what it says. This is everything right here. And yes, if you want to say amen in church, guess what? We can come into agreement with God's word. And so we get a little excited here even during the message because this is, we all participate together. All right, this is fun. This is exciting. God is moving in this place. And so when you hear something from his word and you you want to come into agreement with that, you can say amen, yeah, preach, whatever, you whatever, whatever you want to say, all right? But we want to have fun and be excited about the Holy Spirit and how he's moving and working today. Yeah, all right, there we go. Yeah, you know it, okay? So listen, another thing about revival is when we look at the first century church, they understood that the world that they lived in was spiritual, that there were, there were spiritual things happening and taking place. Our world today, we try to explain away everything with science or what we can see. And I'm not against science, by the way. I'm not one of those guys. But listen, let me tell you something. We try to just explain away the supernatural or the phenomenons in this world or the unseen and just say, no, that can't really happen anymore. Maybe back then. Or maybe those people, they just didn't know as much. Uh, C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. And so it's thinking like the the time period that you live in, you're more advanced, you know more. And, you know, those people back then, they were just dumb, you know, farmers or idiots or whatever. We think we're above those people that came before us. Guess what? Every group of people that has ever lived thought that. And 100 years later, every group of people that has ever lived looked back on that group 100 years before them and said, idiots, (laughs) like they were dumb. All right. So guess what? We don't have all the answers right now that we think that we have. But I will tell you this, the answers that we need to look to when it comes to the unseen realm, to the spiritual, to what's going on within us, within our soul, within our spirit, and then what is moving through our soul and spirit and coming out in the flesh, he's got the answers for us. 
And so we turn to his word today. That's what we're going to do. To come into this moment, we have to have the worldview that they understood and that they knew. So Genesis 6, 1 through 4, I I talk about this a lot, but I, I need us to understand as a church that there is a battle going on because everyone in the early church understood this and they looked at it and it just made sense to them. But today, we don't understand it because we don't deal with it, we ignore it, and we try to explain things away. Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Here's what happened. Then the people, this is before the flood, then the people began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them. The sons of God, there were sons of God. He had a divine counsel, the Bible says, in Psalm 82 and in other places, Deuteronomy 32, okay? The sons of God saw the beautiful women and they took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. All the stories throughout Scripture about these giants, this is where they came from. These sons of God coming down and laying with the daughters of men, half God, half men. We've heard all the stories, right? Hercules, Achilles. We've heard that they're legends, In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. These aren't fairy tales. We believe God's word for what it says. And when you start to look throughout scripture, you can start to see the connections and put them in place yourself. In fact, we're... Even uh, here at Revival, what we have uh, that we're beginning to do is we're going to start offering a class on the unseen realm. And it's a, it's a scholarly work by a guy named Dr. Michael Heiser. We might even have a slide for it. Jake or Kev, you got that slide? You want to pop that up really quick? We've got that starting February 7th. If you want to know more, if you want to dive more in deeper on the unseen realm, uh, I'll tell you what, this is the class. Get signed up for this. You can go to our website. Uh, but it's going to be great to give you a better foundation for how the ancient church, that first century church, how they viewed and understood the world through the lens of what God's word says and teaches about the unseen realm. So we have uh, have these ancient Jewish texts. We have from the Dead Sea Scrolls. uh, We can learn a lot from these other cultures also. Every other culture has these stories or uh, these myths or legends about these half-men and half-gods. In Mesopotamian religion, divine beings known as Apkalu are a central focus of the Mesopotamian version of the flood story. Okay, this is a whole other culture. They have the same version of the flood story. The Apkalu were dispensers of divine knowledge to humanity. That sounds a lot like these sons of God that came down and shared divine knowledge to humans. You find that in the book of First Enoch. Now, that's uh, this is another thing that I think is important to understand. First Enoch was in the minds of every biblical writer. You can see it. Uh, Jude mentions Enoch. Uh, Peter mentions things taught from Enoch. These ancient writers of the Bible, they knew and understood this book of First Enoch. And so it's important for us, even though... 
It's not in our canon, even though it's not considered uh, inspired and in our Bible today. They still understood that it was important to look through this lens and understand that this was a part of the way that they viewed the world at that time. And that we should still view the world today because it gives us a better understanding of the spiritual, of the unseen. So these Apkalu, uh, it, it says in First Enoch that they also, these sons of God, they gave divine knowledge, the same thing as what the Mesopotamians believed, that they gave divine knowledge to human civilization. When the great gods decided humans were too noisy and irritating and needed to be wiped out, the Apkalu came up with a plan to preserve the divine knowledge humanity would need. They fathered children with human women. Sure enough, the plan worked as the quasi-divine humans who survived the flood, also known as the Apkalu, rebuilt civilization. They were the mighty ones whose wisdom and exploits led to the greatness of cities like Babylon. The second generation Apkalu, and we know that we still had giants after the flood. These, that's what their word for giants would be, Apkalu, were not only divine human hybrids, but they were also described as giants in the Mesopotamian epics. You can go and find... It's kind of been erased in our culture today, some of the evidence of these giants. But you can go and look up old newspaper articles from the early 1900s, and you can find different uh, news stories about these discoveries of giants throughout America. So, yeah, they got, there's giant bones, all right? There's stuff out there. You can do some research. But the Unseen Realm class dives a little deeper into that. So first, Enoch, another thing that you need to know when we talk about this uh, it was actually uh, discovered in uh, the cave where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, back right around 1946, I want to say. Where's Brennan? Brennan, 1946, right? Dead Sea Scrolls. Brennan's one of our teachers for the Unseen Realm class. He does a great job with this stuff. He's probably the only person I know that's dove in maybe as much or more than I have on this topic. But we're passionate about it because it helps you see the world through the biblical lens that these writers understood. Sometimes we take the Bible today and we just look at it and try to understand it through our modern lens, through what we know and understand today. That does a disservice to God's word. It, it doesn't give us the full picture. And so First Enoch actually was a part of the Ethiopian church. It was a part of their canon. So it was considered sacred text for the Ethiopian church. There's a lot there that we miss growing up in church and maybe never got covered. I know for me, a lot of this has started to become more mainstream these last few years. It used to be some of this stuff, you didn't talk about it, you didn't dive into it. It was, you know, hey, that sounds weird, that's dangerous, let's not get into it. Enough scholars have gotten into it now, it's working its way into the mainstream. It's working its way into Bible commentaries. Uh, today, this is becoming the, mo the, the modern way of how we should view these passages. But it also gives us, and here's why we're talking about it today, it gives us insight into what we have come to today to understand as the demonic or evil spirits. And some of us, we don't want to mess with that. We don't believe in it. We think, oh, it's fairy tales. Uh, a lot of people today don't even really believe that Satan is an actual being or that there are demons or evil spirits to deal with. In Enoch, it talks about, uh, let's see here, First Enoch uh, chapter 15. Because from that day that they were created from the holy ones, 
the sons of God. They became the watchers. Their first origin is the spiritual foundation. They will become evil upon the earth and shall be called evil spirits. What we know as spirits or demons today, they're the spirits of these giants. Uh, another passage from First Enoch says, But now the giants who are born from the union of the spirits and the flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth. Because their dwelling shall be upon the earth and inside the earth, evil spirits have come out of their bodies. When the giants died, their evil spirits, that's what we have today. That's what is known as the demonic. So, once again, I know, <laughs> I know how people are with some of this stuff. I can see it. Like your face, like, what is going on right now? This is crazy. This is wild. Let me just tell you this. We have to understand this stuff. Because too many times we just say, oh, this is how life is. This is just what I have to suffer through in this world. Or this is just my lot in life. And this is just what I have to deal with or put up with. There's things that some of us, we are settling for. And just saying, this is who I am. This is a part of me. That if we were alive during the time of Jesus, we would find out that there would have been a demonic reason, a demonic thing at work, a demonic force at work in our lives, and that there could be freedom from it. We don't have to settle with it. We don't have to live with it. There is freedom from the demonic. So Jesus wants to set some people free today with this knowledge and opening you up to what it, his word actually says. So we're going to go to Matthew 12. We're going to deal with the demonic today. Matthew 12, verse 22. Jesus and the prince of demons. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David the Messiah? And when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by fear by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I'm casting out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to plunder the house. Let me, let me tell you another cool story about Jesus. When uh, he has this conversation with Peter at Caesarea Philippi. And in this conversation, uh, he, he says, Upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. This is wild. I love this story. I, I never understood this until I started to read through this book, The Unseen Realm. And he helps you understand in this passage where he was right here was at the foot of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, that might mean nothing to some of you. That, it meant nothing to me the first time I read it. 
Mount Hermon in the book of Enoch is described as the place where the sons of God came down. That's where the watchers came down at Mount Hermon. Their divine transgression against God happened at Mount Hermon. They moved against his authority. And Jesus goes to the foot of Mount Hermon and says, Upon these gates, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. I'm going to storm the gates of hell. I'm going to plunder what he has tried to steal. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. Jesus went right there to the place that it happened. He said, no, 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 I'm taking my kids back. I'm bringing my family home, and I'm bringing everyone else with me if they say yes. Yeah, amen, church, amen. That's what he did. Yeah, come on, you can get excited. That's all right. I like it. Keep going, church. That's what he came to do. And then what did he call his disciples to do? Go to Mark 16. What did he tell his disciples to do? Mark 16, verse 17. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. And they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink anything poisonous, they won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. We've already started to see some of the miraculous taking place in our church. We've talked about some of the healings that have already happened within our church body. Jesus is moving, and he is still active, and he is still going forward to plunder the gates of hell. He is binding the strong man, and he is using his church to go forward and do it. Church, we weren't called to just sit here on a Sunday And then just go home and just live our life. No, no, no. We were called to plunder the gates of hell. To go forward by faith. And some of us in here, this sounds weird and crazy and wild. And he wants to stir your faith up right now for the unseen realm. He wants you to understand that the unseen realm, what happens there is more real than anything we can see, taste, or feel in this world. This is what we're chasing after. We're chasing after souls. We're chasing after the lives of those whose eternity is in the crosshairs of the enemy. And he's called us to go and set the captives free. But we can't set anyone free until we've been freed ourselves. Go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them authority. He gave his disciples authority. He still today gives his disciples authority. He gives his church authority. You have spiritual authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal Every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. 
Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. When I first started getting into this stuff and looking deeper at what the Bible was actually saying here, there was a lot of pride in me. Uh, a, a lot in me said, yeah, that's great for other people. I, I don't need that for myself. There's this mindset within the church, especially here in the West, in America today. There's this mindset that we believe that once we've given our lives to Jesus, because I, I believe there's a lot of those people in here today, that you have given your life to Jesus. You've made that confession of faith. You've said he is Lord and Savior. And we believe that's it. You know, we've received the Holy Spirit. Demons can't touch us. Your spirit has been saved. But your soul, where your mind resides, and your flesh are being sanctified. You are in the process of being saved. All of us, that's what we're going through here. So yes, you, you have been saved, you have been set apart. But that does not mean that the enemy cannot come after you, that the enemy cannot attack you, that the enemy cannot try to get a place or a foothold in your life. Paul tells us that in Ephesians. He says, don't let the enemy have even a foothold in your life. Don't give him a place. Some of us, we leave, we leave the doors wide open. And we let the enemy come in and make a place and we let him get comfortable in our lives. But we don't acknowledge him as the enemy. We just say, oh, that's just who I am, you know? That's just my struggle, you know? That's just, you know, I just, I kind of do that every now and then. I kind of just mess around. That's just, or, or we just say, oh, that, that's my identity. That, that, you know, I need that. I can't let go of that. I, I, I can't displace that over here. And, and there's things that we just get comfortable with, but they are the work of demons in our lives. And we have bought the lie and we have made it our own. The lies of the enemy we take that they whisper to us and we capture them and we begin to believe them and identify with them. That's what the enemy does. He can't read your thoughts, he can't read your mind, but he can whisper to you. And there are thoughts that will come to you sometimes and you'll believe that they're your own. And you'll begin to take them and own them and identify with them and say, that's who I am. That's how it's always gonna be. I'm always gonna struggle this way but really what you've done is you've just given the enemy a place and a foothold in your life. Just because we are saved and set apart and we've given our life to Jesus, that does not mean that we cannot be demonized. Too many people get caught up in these words of, you know, possession or oppression. The word that is used throughout Scripture is demonized, Okay? That's the Greek word. That, that's really what it is. And anybody can be demonized. The apostles... He just listed out there. Did you see that? Let me, let me read it for you again. 
verse 8. No, 7 and 8. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Give all these things that he just listed as you have received. We think we're above the apostles, that we can't be demonized. We, we do. That's what we think. We are arrogant. We think, no, no, I, I can't be demonized. They, they can't bother me. They can't touch me. Uh, nope, nope, I can't be. You think you're above the apostles. When we think that way, that's what we come into agreement with. They received freedom. They received healing. That's what Jesus is saying there. Give freely just as you have received. We have to humble ourselves before him and acknowledge that we are open to the attacks of the enemy just like anyone else. What did Jesus say to Peter in Matthew 16? Matthew 16, verse 22 and 23. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Peter was reprimanding Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. He was being demonized. That's what was going on there. Get away from me, Satan. Even Peter was open to the attacks of the, the enemy. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Your thoughts are of the things of men. That word right there in the Greek, it's phroneo, to have understanding, to think, to direct your mind to. Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds, phroneo, they think, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, the things that we can see, touch, taste, hear, feel. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are in a spiritual war and we have to learn how to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit from these demonic spirits. These demonic spirits are in the world and they are at work and some of us, we have bought the lie. Some of you, you've bought the lies that they've whispered to you and you've believed them for your own and you've taken them and you've made them your own and you've given the enemy a place in your life. And Jesus has said, no, no, no. In my name, you have authority. You have authority to cast out the enemy. Don't give him a place here because then he'll build it into a stronghold. We destroy those arguments and we take every thought captive. This is war language here. This word right here in the Greek means to take or to lead captive in a war, to ensnare. This is spiritual warfare. That's what kind of church, if you're new here, man, that's what kind of church you walked into, a church that believes in spiritual warfare and a church that believes that that's why Jesus came, to set the captives free. That's what we believe, and that's what we practice, and that's what we teach here. 
Some of you today, you already know some of the thoughts and the ideas that he, the enemy has put in your head and you've believed. And the Holy Spirit is bringing them right now to the front of your mind. And he's saying, this is a lie from the enemy. Rebuke it and cast it out in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you something. You, you might feel weird doing this. You can wait till we get this last song of worship going. But I, I'm telling you, they cannot read your thoughts, the enemy. The Lord of all, our God, Yahweh, he can read your mind. He can read your thoughts. But the enemy, he cannot read your mind. And so you have to verbally say it. You have to speak it and say, in Jesus' name, I am casting out today the enemy's thoughts that he has tried to plant in my life. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the living God. Believe that today, and you are going to walk in freedom from whatever it is that ensnared you. Don't let the enemy build that stronghold anymore. Jesus, he describes our bodies as a house. Go now to Matthew 12. I, I told you, I'm all over the place today. This is fun. This is what you guys are like. I thought this series was called, was called Doors. I haven't heard about one door. Here comes some doors, all right? Here comes some doors for you if you've been waiting for that. Matthew 12, uh, verse 43 through 45. Here's what it says. When an evil spirit, I'm telling you, Jesus talked about this all the time, these evil spirits. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. It goes into a dry place. That's also that word for desert. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home. It's a house our bodies, our homes. It finds its former home empty, sweat, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Our bodies are homes. We're temples of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. But sometimes what we do is we've invited Jesus into our lives, and we've said, here, you can have this room right here. This is the room I use on Sundays. Okay, I love this room on Sundays, but I only use it on Sundays. Monday through Saturday, I close that door. I lock it. Because I got stuff to do. I got people to hang out with. I got places to go. I got things I want to do. And I got to keep that door closed because he can't hear what's going on Monday through Saturday. And then we leave these doors open for the enemy to come in and have a place in our lives to make a home within us. Some of you guys, you have kids. Your kids ever leave the door open? What do you say when they leave the door open? What do you say? Were you raised in a barn? Yeah, yeah. Were you raised in a barn? You tell them, close the door. You ain't paying for the heat, right? You know, some of you guys, you know, this economy, we can't afford that, all right? Come on. <laughs> Sorry, too political, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> all right, close the door. Some of us, you've left doors open in your life, and he is saying today, all you got to do is close the door. Don't give the enemy access anymore. And I know that sounds easy, 
And for some of you, it's going to be easy. Some of you, you know the door already that he's saying you need to close this door because this is how the enemy has gotten in and he's made a place in your life. But once you expel the enemy, once you cast him out, you need to close that door and don't let him back in again. For me, I started to look at this a couple years ago when we first started Revival. I started to look at my life and started to look and see some of the doors that I had open for the enemy. And I started to realize how I had given him access And when I began to close those doors, all of a sudden these things that I struggled with, these things that I fought with, the temptation that I kept dealing with in my life, I realized if I just kept this door closed, he couldn't get in. He didn't have access anymore. Close the doors. Some of you guys, you had some of those rough, you know, tough, you know, grandpas or dads, and they said close the, you know, close the door, all right, the you know, the dam the, holds water back, all right? That kind of dam. Close that water holding back door, all right? So, <laughs> there you go. I just politely cussed in church. <laughs> Close it. That's everything we're doing here at Revival. We want to help set people free. Anything I teach up here, it's because he's been teaching me. Anything I have our small groups go through, I'm having... Here at Revival, we have all of our, church, all of our small groups go through this, uh, this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. When you go through that, you start to realize and understand some of the doors that have been opened in your life that you have given access to the enemy. There's a reason behind everything we do here. We want to help people close the doors to expel the enemy, to cast him out in the name of Jesus. Andrew, you guys can come up as we get ready to finish here. Don't give him a place. Where do they go? They go to these dry places. They go to the desert. And if they come back and they find the home empty, they're coming right back in. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the waters of living life run through you. When you give your life to Jesus and you're baptized in the water, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Begin to listen and submit and surrender to his voice in your life. If you, want to pray for, if you want prayer for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life today, you can come find us up here. Come find me. Come grab me. Ask for that prayer. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't give him a dry, empty home to come back to. When the enemy comes back, he's going to find you filled with his presence, and he's going to flee at the mention of his name. Don't give him access anymore. That's only about half my sermon. I guess I don't have to write anything for next week. We'll just pick right up where we left off. Your home, your temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. And you've been called more than to just sit here on Sunday. You've been called to go in his name and use that authority as his son and as his daughter to walk in freedom. And to deliver freedom to those others around you. 
Because it's been given to you. Go and freely give. Go and set the captives free. 